we're going to talk about core values over the next several weeks some things that are really important to us that we've said these will be our guiding directives as when we started heritage these were some of the things that we said we valued and it's by these things that we try to, to make a lot of decisions i don't know what you think of when you think about core values but these are things that we say that we hold that we hold on to uh, that are very important these are not things that we have yet grasped but these are things that we say are very very important to us and so we're going to talk about some of those things over the next few weeks and we're going to start out today with intimacy with god but i'm so glad that you're here um what a great i don't even i just want to go sit down and let y'all sing some more forget about all this other stuff um Let's begin, though, with just a moment of silence. Would you pray with me, quietly, with your heads bowed? Today we're going to be talking specifically to believers because we're going to read some words that, that, uh, that God himself, uh, were words that John penned, that, that God spoke to the, to the church at Laodicea, believers, religious people. Yet what John wrote... What God wanted said to the church at Laodicea is something that we need to hear today because it could also be written to us. I'm going to ask you some, some really good questions today as we talk about intimacy with God, but we're going to finish out asking the question in reference to your relationship with God is, are you closer today in your relationship with God than you were yesterday? And if not, why? If not, why? Because our Heavenly Father stands at the door and He knocks. He knocks. And He knocks. Desiring that we would come to the door and open it up and let Him in. Not that we would know about Him, but that we would know Him. So Father, I pray that You take this time and You would speak to our hearts today as we speak Your Word for those that are our guests today that may not know you, I pray that, Lord, it would may be a time that you would even stir within their heart to know an almighty God that loves and pursues us. For those of us that are believers, I pray that you would speak to our heart today and it would be a time of, of, uh, of thoughtfulness today and asking, where, where am I at? What does my relationship look like with a holy God? In Jesus' name, amen. Here's a question for you. Have you ever been in a relationship or desired a relationship and um, you desired that relationship more than the other person did? You ever been in a situation where you desired to have a relationship with somebody more than they wanted to have a relationship with you? Or maybe you've been in a relationship that in the past it was sort of good, but there, it was broken. There was something that took place. And now you're seeking to restore that relationship, yet the person you're seeking to, to restore that relationship with doesn't really see, seem to feel the way that you feel about it. Ever been in a situation? If you've not been in a situation like that, there, there will come a time when you will. You will. Do you ever think that our Heavenly Father desires a relationship with us? more than you do him do you ever think that god desires to have a relationship with us a whole lot more than we desire to have a relationship with him so you may think well i'm just hungry for the things of the lord but he desires a deeper relationship with us than we do him regardless of what you think 
I want to take a look at a passage of Scripture today in, in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, in the end, which is the last book in the Bible. Uh, the beginning and the end. You've got Genesis and then you've got Revelation. And it's all the way at the back. Um, but before we do that, you know, the Bible is full of stories about God's pursuit of us and his love for us. Uh, it's easy to get hung up in a place like Leviticus or, you know, or Numbers or, you know, some of the Old Testament things and totally miss out on the greatness of who God is and his love for us. But the story after story after story is told of God's pursuit of us and his love for us as, as people. You know, you see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the book of Genesis, where here's God in the garden, he's calling out to Adam and Eve, and yet that relationship with God was broken because of lack of trust, they didn't trust God, yet God didn't walk away from him, but he quietly pursued them, he pursued them. You see in the New Testament, the story of the prodigal son, where he comes to his father, he said, listen, give me what's mine, and he leaves and he squanders everything that his father had, had given him. And the father had every right to be bitter and to be angry and to be mad and to disown him, yet he didn't do that. He patiently waited on him to return. Isn't that great? He patiently waited on him to return. Our heavenly father desires a relationship with us. Let me ask you a question today. If, how would you define your relationship with God? Would you define it um, as non-existent? Would you define it as casual? Would you define it as respectful? Or would you define it as intimate? How would you define your relationship with God? In this book today uh, that we're going to see in the book of Revelation, it was written by a man by the name of John. He wrote it while he was exiled on an island uh, of Patmos. But he writes, and in that book, there are up front, there is some letters to some churches one of those churches was the church at Laodicea, and that's the letter that we're going to look at today briefly. And midway through, I'm going to turn back to the, a, few, um, a, a few books earlier to the Gospel of John, and I'm going to look at a passage. If you want to, sort of, if you want to find, you get bored with what's going on, you can go back to the book of John and just sort of read, but I'm going to look at John 16. But up front, I want to read to you the letter that John wrote as God speaks to the people at Laodicea. And this is one of the things that... Um, that I want you to listen to, that it was written to the believers there, and it gives us the thought that we can be very religious pe people and have respect for God, yet have no intimacy with him. Did you hear me? That we can show up to church every Sunday morning, we can go to every Bible study there is, we can be involved in this, we can serve in the kids, and we can give, and we can do whatever, and we can be religious people, yet miss out on intimacy with God. See, that happens in marriages all the time, doesn't it? We coexist, but there is no intimacy. So how do we move from casual, respectful to intimacy? This is what John records in his letter, in God's words to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Let me read that. Would you read along with me today? This is what John wrote. On behalf of the Lord, I know all the things that you do. You're neither hot nor cold. See, I see you. I see everything you do. I see everything that not only you do out in front of people, I see everything that you do also behind the scenes. And I see 
that you're neither hot nor cold. There seems to be a lack of consistency between what you say with your mouth and the way that you live your life. There seems to be a disconnect between what you say you believe and your actions. I wish you were one or the other. I wish you either loved me or you didn't love me. Not that you talked about me, but I wish you either were on this side of the fence or this side of the fence instead of standing in the middle. I wish you were or you weren't. He goes on to say in verse 16, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now that's a pretty interesting metaphor. That's a pretty interesting uh, word picture there. Okay, lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, spit you out of my mouth. Now to us, it really doesn't make an awful lot of sense until you happen to know a little bit about Laodicea. To the people that he was writing to, they understood, Steve, because there within that place, there were a lot of things about Laodicea that were really good, but one of the things they did not have is they did not have a good source of water. So they had to bring their water from outside of Laodicea. They had to pipe that water in uh, through an aqueduct system that they had created. <clears throat> from about five to six miles out, they pumped that water from some hot mineral springs that were five or six miles out. And by the time that water got to them, it was lukewarm. When's the last time you've drank lukewarm water? Hot water is good to take a bath in, isn't it? Especially when you've got aches and pains. Don't you like a good sauna when you just, you know? Or some hot water to get in a hot, steamy bath. It's just invigorating. Or when you're in the middle of the desert or something and you're just thirsting, 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 and you get that cool, refreshing drink of water. My grandparents used to have a well out back. It was one of those hand pumps. Some of us aren't old enough to remember that. But it was a, it was a well that you would pump with your hand, and they had a ladle, an aluminum ladle that they had that, that set up. They had put a, like a little nail, and it set up there. And that ladle was cool even in, the, even in the middle of the summer. And you could take that ladle and you could pump that water and it would come out of that pump and it was cool and refreshing. I can still, man, I'm thirsty now. <laughs> it was good. There was a guy that used to come out of the mountains and he would bring mountain water. And he swore up and down it was by far the best water in the world. To us, in the middle of the watermelon field, it was the best water in the world. Right. We got a good taste of it. Isn't that right, Wes? But he says, listen, he says, hey, he says, since you're like lukewarm water, you're neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You're good, you're being good, but you're useless. And that's not my plan. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. He goes on to say in verse 17, you say I'm rich, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Laodicea was a very wealthy city. As a matter of fact, somewhere around 60 AD, there was an earthquake, and the Romans wanted to come in and rebuild the city. And what do you think the people in Laodicea said? We got it. We got it taken care of. You don't have to come here because we've got all the resources. We need thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Listen, we've got it under control. How many times do we say that to God? God, listen, I want you to know how I appreciate it but I got it under control. I've got everything. I've got it covered. See, you've, you've blessed me. I've become successful, so now I don't need you. It's easy for our dependency on God to wane in times of extra. You ever been there? Maybe you've been there. You've been there in a time when, 
when the extra, eh, okay, God, I got it. And he goes on to say, and you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Isn't there, those are some characteristics that you want attached to your name, isn't it, Connie? You want somebody to walk up to you and say, Connie, you are poor, you are wretched, you are blind, you are naked, you are nothing. I mean, that's just what we want to be known as, this type of people. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. How many times do we think that material blessing is a sign of spiritual blessing? Oh, the reason that I'm so blessed is because I'm in highly favored by the Lord. Listen, the devil wants you to make, make you think that as well. How many times is it easy for us to become complacent in our relationship with God? It's easy. And some of us have probably been there. The darkest of times, we're crying out to God. We're reading the Psalms. We're asking for God's help. We're seeking and we're hungering. And all of a sudden, the pain begins to subside. The money begins to come into the bank. You get the position that you've been crying for. Whatever it may be, the wife or the spouse may come back. The kid returns home. And all of a sudden, the hunger that you had for God begins to wane. You become complacent. Because of wealth, a position, or something else, circumstances in life. And the dependency that you once had on God isn't there now. And then he goes on to talk in verse 19 about repentance and turning back to God. And look at what he says in verse 20. Look. Some translations say, here am I. Here I am. Look. I stand at the door and knock. And can you see God standing out on the side of the door of the church and knocking? He's standing on the outside of the church and knocking. We're on the inside singing. And man, people are raising hands. Brooke, she's tearing it up. You got Melvin over here. You got Steve looking good, standing in the choir. Brian's playing along. Everything's happening. People are going up, giving to Nicaragua. You know, we care about Nicaragua and what's going on. We're going we're gonna to make water wells in, in, in places where there is no water. People are going to know about us all over the world. And man, things are happening on the inside. Yet... God's standing on the outside, knocking. Hey, psst, psst. here I am. Here I am. If God can do anything he wants, why in the world is he standing on the outside and knocking? There's one thing that separates Christianity from every other religion. See, God can do anything that he wants to do, but you know what he will not do? He has all the power in the world, but one of the things that he will not do, he will not make us love him. He can do anything that he wants to do, yet he will not force us to love him. He can make us obey him. He can make us serve him. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But he wants to give us every opportunity to open the door ourselves. He wants every opportunity for our relationship to him, with him to be like it was in the garden with Adam and Eve, where there was complete trust, where there was intimacy. Yet how many of us today in our churches opt for religion? Religion. Let me tell you a little bit about religion. Here's religion. People that are religious see God as a formula. If I do these things, then God will. 
See, if I go to this Bible study, if I give this certain amount of money, if I do these certain things, if I serve, if I work, religion but no relationship. You know what eventually happens to religious people? Their attitude moves from pleasing God to how do I get God to, to do what I want him to do. From pleasing God to pleasing self. What can I do to get God to, get God to do for me what I want him to do? How do I get God to do what I want? How do I live in such a way that I get God, motivate God to do for me what I want him to do? Not to get closer. How do I live not to get closer to God, but how do I live to get God to do for me what I want him to do? See, I don't want to get close because if I get, if I get too close, then God might ask me to do something that I don't want to do. He might ask me to sacrifice something that I don't want to sacrifice. He may ask me to give some time, or he may ask me to give some resources, or he might ask me to do something, I mean, he could ask me to go to Nicaragua. He could ask me to go serve with children, and to build a relationship with them, and to love on kids. I don't want to do that. I'd just rather go to church. And the whole time, God's standing on the outside knocking. Don't want to get too close. Religious people also become very judgmental. You've never known a judgmental Christian, have you? Anybody ever met a person that called themselves a believer that they spent all of their time judging other people? Their conversation was always about somebody else and what they didn't do or what they didn't like. Judgmental. And you know how they become judgmental? Because they have become convinced in life. They are determined that God doesn't like certain things because they don't like certain things. See, I don't like music, so I, that certain type of music. So I know God doesn't look that like that certain type of music. I don't like a church that goes to two services. So I know God doesn't like a church that goes to two services. I know God doesn't like pews. God likes chairs. So I know God don't like... Are you with me? And some of the wounds that we carry on in life are some of the things that people that call themselves believers, some of the wounds that we have from people because they've been judgmental. Some of the deepest wounds that we have are for some of those people. People that say they love, yet we end up feeling so unloved and judged. Let me show you a passage of scripture where Jesus talks about religious people. I think it's very interesting. In John chapter 16, turn, turn there with me and let me, let me read it to you just quick, just for a second. Um, we wouldn't think too much about this back when I was growing up. Matter of fact, this passage of scripture might have been a little confusing, but now in light of what we experience every day, um, I think it, it, might, it might paint a clear picture. But listen at what, listen at what John uh, is recorded here in John 16, Jesus, when he's speaking, he says this, I have told you these things, his disciples, his believers, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Guys, listen, I want you to understand that what I'm fixing to tell you is I, I want to prepare you because you're fixing to go through some difficult times. And I'm going to tell you this now because I don't want you to run when you start to experience the difficulties that you're going to experience. Verse 2, for you will be expelled from the synagogues, the religious people. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think that they are doing a holy service to God. Saul, before his life change, was under the authority of the high priest. And he went under with the blessing, he went under that blessing 
around persecuting and killing those who were followers of Jesus Christ. Now, when I was growing up, in my little world, because of lack of technology and lack of media and all that kind of stuff, I didn't understand, I wouldn't have understood this. But 9-11 changed our picture, didn't it? It did. 9-11 changed. Do you know that today in the world, they estimate that there's one person that's persecuted for Christ that loses their life every five minutes, which every five minutes, which comes up to somewhere between, I didn't do the math, but the estimates are between 160 and 175,000 people lose their life every year because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Hmm. Jesus goes on to say, just a little bit later, he says, this is because they have never believed. This is because they have never what? Known. This is because they have never known the Father or me. This is because they've never known. I want you to circle that word known because in the Greek, what it means, it's not just known because I've heard. It's known because I know out of personal experience. This is because they've persecuted others because they don't know me or nor do they know the Father. They don't know me through experience. And how many times today do we say that we know God, yet we don't know God we don't know God through experience. We know God by what's been written in a book or what we've seen in a movie or you know, what we've heard a pastor say, but we've never had that personal experience, that private one-on-one -on -one encounter. See, the person that doesn't know God tries to perform God because they think that God is impressed with our works. See, the person that doesn't know God does everything possible to try to change God's mind. The person that doesn't know God thinks that God loves us because of certain things that we do or certain things that we don't do. The person that doesn't know God thinks God loves us or accepts us because of our actions. The person that doesn't know God doesn't understand his love because his love is unconditional. It's in spite of us. It's in spite of. But see, that's how religious people live. That's how we think that we're supposed to act. Religious people, busy people, on the inside, yet God's on the outside. When we started Heritage six years ago, six and a half years ago, I think one of the things that we talked about because we didn't start Heritage. Heritage wasn't planted because it was a great idea. It wasn't planted because some people got mad at some other people and said, we're going to go plant a church and do our own thing. It wasn't planted because somebody kicked somebody out. or God, It was planted because God said, go. And if you've never been in a situation like that, that's a pretty alone, dark place to be, to step out in faith and do something like that. I learned a lot. I'm still learning a lot. Brian was a whole, you know, Brian and Meredith had it down. Brooke and I, we struggled with that. We talked about that. Okay, Brian and Meredith, y'all like got this faith thing? It's really high. Brooke and I like, come on, how's this thing going to work out? It was, it was a tough. It was really tough. I had that out-of-body experience when I said, 
Mm-hmm. Okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, but I don't understand this. this. This is the stupidest thing I think I've ever done in my life. There's more, more to that story. But I think one of the things that we said is we don't want to be a, a bunch of religious people. We don't want to just gather to do some more religious, good religious things. But how do we create an environment that we would come into an intimate relationship with God and listen for his voice? Because if he speaks, there's something that he wants to say to us. You know, in our today in society, it's so easy to get so busy, isn't it? And you miss, you miss that voice. You miss that voice. How do we be part of a growing group of people whose pursuit of God wasn't about the routine or the ritual? but it was about the relationship. A group of people seeking to know God. Know God. Not just know about Him. Intimacy with God is a lot like intimacy with a person. I want to give you three things that I think are really important. If you're going to be in an intimate relationship with God, it relates a lot to our relationship with one another. They're simultaneous. Number one, intimacy, if you desire it, it requires time. Time. Unrushed, uninterrupted, private, quiet time. You know one of the reasons I like this time of year? (laughs) Man, I I love to hunt. I love to hunt. I love to go sit in a deer stand, and when I sit in a deer stand, I'll take my Bible, I'll take my pad, I'll take my pencil or a pen, and, and I'll just sit down and listen. And it's amazing sometimes the things that God says in the middle of a deer stand. Now some of you might say, well, I can't believe he goes hunting. Yes, I go hunting. I sure do. I'm sorry if you don't like it. That's just the way it is. Um, that's why it's so low today. Everybody's, in the, everybody's hunting today. But, um, but I love sitting in a deer stand. I love that quiet time because my life is so busy. There's always something else. There's always another phone call. There's always another email, another text, and all all those things, but life seems to stop. It's really tough now because I've got the age where I always, you know, we talked about luggage. I always take luggage with me because I always got a kid that I take with me. I don't very often, I don't go often by sitting down a deer stand by myself because I always got three of them that want to tag along. So I like to go with Steve. Steve and I can just go together because Steve can do his thing and I can do my thing. But, but I love taking my kids. And a lot of times I'll take my Bible and I sit down with my pen. Shh, be quiet, shh. You're not going to see anything if you don't quit and stop. I know. Meredith swears up and down she won't go hunting with me again because right after we were married, we went hunting right at the first of the season, and it was so hot. You know how it's hot this time of year? You know, the first, And she, the only thing, she kept swatting mosquitoes because they were so bad, and I kept telling her, stop, stop, stop. She says, I'm not sitting in another deer stand with you. So, uh, but intimacy requires time time and it's easy to justify lack of private time and to supplement or put in place service hear me it's easy to say i'm going to bypass the private time and i'm going to show up on sunday and that's going to be my food for the week or what i'm going to do is i'm going to bypass on the private time the uninterrupted quiet time and what i'm going to do is i'm going to put in place serving with the kids on sunday you miss it. Intimacy requires time. 
I love what Jesus had to say when he was talking to the disciples about prayer. In Matthew 6, this is what he said. But when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, he says, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. What do you think the reward was for getting behind the closed door and spending private time with the Lord? What do you think the reward was? Intimacy. Knowing God, not knowing about Him. Intimacy requires time. But intimacy also requires transparency. You know, how many times do you try to fake God out? You ever tried to fake God out? You do it all the time, don't you? When's the last time you sat down with God and said, man, I'm just ticked. Can you see that new car they're driving? God, why didn't you bless me with that car? You don't do that. Oh, no, 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 I'm not jealous. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. No, God, that don't bother me. Mm -mm. When's the last time you told God you were angry about something? When's the last time you told God you were bitter about something? When's the last time that you sat down with God and had a heart to heart? You ever done that? Transparency. You think he doesn't know? I love what the psalmist writes when he says, he says, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything, everything that you see and everything you don't see. He knows it all. He says, you know, when I sit down, when I stand up, you know, my thoughts, even when I'm far away. See, he knows everything that's going on, even those things in secret. Nobody knows. He knows. If he knows, why don't we just be honest? God, I'm really struggling today. I'm having a difficult time. You ever had that? I remember the time I shook my fist at God. I don't do that very often. I shook my fist because I was mad. Don't you understand how angry I am? I didn't curse, though. But I was so mad. He already knew I was mad before I told him, though. Where there's intimacy, there is vulnerability. The good, the bad, the ugly. Where there's intimacy, there's transparency. See, because I know that God doesn't love me because, but in spite of. See, he, he loves me in spite of what he knows. He still loves me, Jerry. Even though he knows that there's bitterness and there's anger and sometimes that junk going on in my heart, he still loves me. We can't hide it from him. There's no sense in trying to hide it from him. Rick, I have to tell him. He already knows. Intimacy also requires not only time and transparency, but also submission. The issue of mutual submission has to be one of those, one of those strongest relational dynamics there is. Mutual submission saying, I'm going to take the things that I have and the resources that I have, everything, my abilities, my time, and I'm going to leverage them on your behalf. But how many times do we not want to leverage our resources on the behalf of somebody until I see if Steve's going to leverage his resources on my behalf? See, I'll do for you as long as I know that you're going to do back, and we'll meet both ways. See, we'll meet sort of halfway in between, like 50-50, you know what I'm saying? But here's what God says, I want you to know that I'm all in, baby. 100%, before you ever were born, before you ever went to church, before you ever were baptized, before you ever started singing in the choir, before you ever stood before a group of people and started preaching, before any of that stuff ever happened, I was in. Man, I was in in the relationship. That was where Jesus came in. See, I was in in the midst of that relationship. I sent my son so that he would die on a cross for you. I gave it all before you ever gave anything. I was committed to you far, far, far before you ever were committed to me. 
intimacy. He took the first step. He gave us all with the intent that one day, one day, one day, we'd let him in. But how many of us are afraid to let him in? Because we're afraid that if we let him in, he might ask something of us. See, I'm all right with attending church or going to another Bible study or serving or giving every once in a while, but let him in, surrender, come on now, help me out. I'm okay with being religious. I'm all right with, with telling somebody, love Jesus, smile, everybody loves Jesus today. I'm okay with supporting Chick-fil-A because they're a Christian organization. But when it comes down to living for Jesus, that's a whole other thing. I'll go to church on Sunday morning, but don't ask me anything outside of my comfort zone. And he stands and he knocks. And the whole time while we're contemplating our next move, listen, he doesn't force himself. He just stands at the door. And he knocks. Isn't that great? Can't you hear him on the outside? He's knocking out there today. I need to, I, need, I should have did that as sort of like a thing, somebody knocking. That would really scared y'all, wouldn't it? You know what I don't want from my kids? What I don't want from my kids is this. The only time that they want to talk to me is when they want something. The only time that, I, that my kids want to talk to me is when they're in a bind and they got to have something. Hey, Dad, how you doing today? Good. Dad, you got any cash you can sort of loan me today? No. No, I want them to sit down and talk to me about the everyday things in life. The everyday things, the good, the bad, the ugly. I want them to talk to me. I want them to be excited about talking to me. Not because they have to, but because they want to. That's tough, because you're a parent. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You ever had those moments when you feel like you're being abused or manipulated? The only time they clean the room is when, they, when they're trying to maneuver or manipulate you to get something, right? Yeah. They want to talk to me just because. Can you see that in our relationship with God? I mean, how many times do we go to God and we're asking, okay, the only time we talk to God is, God, listen, I, I need some help here. Don't you understand? I, I'm a little low on cash this week. Or God, don't you understand? I'm really struggling right now with my children. Or God, I'm really struggling right now. And God said, is that the only time that you want to talk to me is when you're going through a difficult time? I love to talk to you, and I don't mind that. But how about talking to me about some other stuff too? If I can tell when my kids are playing me, don't you think that God can tell when we're playing him? <laughs> Listen to how he finishes up there. Look, I stand at the door and knock. I, if, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. But how many of us don't want to let him in because we're afraid of surrender? How many of us don't want to let him in because we're afraid of what he might ask us to do? How many of us don't want to let him in because we're afraid that he might take something from us? You know, I used an illustration this morning. I could go home. I couldn't do this with Meredith because she might hurt me. But I could do it with the kids. I could go in their room and take everything out of the room, completely clean it out, and destroy everything, and there's not a thing they could do about it. I could take everything and leave nothing but the floor in there. I could even take the floor out. 
and leave nothing in that room. And I have the right to do that because I have the power and I have the authority as their father. I could take everything from them if I wanted to. And there's not a thing they could do about it. Don't you think that if God wanted to remove something, he has the power and authority to take it from us? If God wanted to take something from us, he doesn't need our permission. But do you know why God stands at the door and he knocks? Because he wants you to let him in. He wants you to let him in. There's one thing that God won't do. He won't make you loving. But he wants you to let him in when he knocks. And he stands outside the door knocking today. And we're having church on the inside. And he says, will you open the door? Because I want to come in. And I want to have fellowship with you. And I want to rock your world. Because there's a huge difference between knowing about me and knowing me. Would you bow your heads today? Brian and Melvin are going to come sing a song. And I told you up front that today was just talking about intimacy with God. And, and it was for those of us that are here that are believers. And so if you're a follower of Christ and you profess Christ as Lord and Savior, my question to you is, are you in a closer relationship today with the Lord than what you were yesterday? If not, why? Listen as they sing this song. And then I'll close out right after this. Can I sit with you a while? Can I sit with you a while? 
Can you hold me? I'm your child. Can I come to you with words so few and rest inside your arms? Can I sit with you a while? Can I listen to your heart, Jesus? Can I feel it be with mine? I've come to love the way you cover me with who you are. Can I listen to your heart? What better friend, what better father, no greater king, no other savior, my only God, my perfect lover. that are believers the question is are you closer today with the Lord than where you were yesterday you know it's easy for us to fall into a place of complacency um, my challenge today is if you desire intimacy to find that quiet time that you spend with the Lord on a daily basis and not wait to Sundays and listen don't substitute service for time alone with the Lord it's in those times that we get to know him not just know about him Spend as much time listening as you do talking. That's a challenge for me, guys. But what up front, when we, the beginning days of heritage, and we don't want to lose sight of that. We don't want to just have a group of religious people doing good religious things. But man, I imagine an army that goes out, that not only just doing the right thing, but they're representing Christ and they're listening for his voice. It takes time. Intimacy takes transparency. Some of you need to go home and get in a closet and say, and just get all that junk out and say, God, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm, and just get it all out. And at the end of that, you'll find out that he still loves you. He doesn't run from you when you go through that, but he pursues you and runs towards you. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what pain or suffering you're experiencing. And submission, man, if you really want to know God, submit to him. Be willing to surrender to him. Not be afraid because he's not going to ask you to do something that's going to hurt you. Listen, he's, he's for you. He's not against you. I can tell you that one of the, you know, some, of the most, some of the most intense times in my relationship with God uh, when the early days of starting Heritage, there were times that I felt alone. There were times that I felt beaten. There were times that I felt like a failure. I still feel like that from time to time. And I had to go back, and it was during those times, though, that I, I, there was something that happened, that he went from somebody that I knew about to somebody that I knew. And sometimes when I share you guys, I share stories with you, they're stories of things that I've personally experienced in my life. 
And I want you to have those same stories. Not go, well, let me tell you what Pastor said. He said this over here. No, let me tell you what I, let me tell you what I had happen in my life because of me and my relationship with God. Not just because I showed up and I went to church on a Sunday morning. Personal experience. This, is, this Bible is full, filled with personal experiences of people who knew God intimately. And I don't find a lot of perfect people in this scripture except for one, and that was Jesus himself. But if you really want to know him, if you really want to know him, spend time with him. Be transparent with him and be willing to submit. And you might find out. You might be blown away. You might be blown away when all of a sudden you say, yeah, yeah, that's me. I surrender. I give it all. For the person that's here that doesn't know Jesus, the only thing I can say is this. It's the most important decision you'll ever make, and it'll radically change your life. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm talking about being intimate with him. And the whole time, he stands at the door. And you know why we created these extra spaces? Because we want some other people to hear. Not so that we can get more religious people. I just want to let you in on that secret. And next week, I'm going to share a passage of Scripture and some stories about relational evangelism that will blow your socks off. So you better wear two pair next week. Because it's time to get jiggy with it. Father, I pray that as we leave this place today that we've heard your voice. Speak to our hearts, God. Our desire is not to know about you, but to know you in an intimate way. That's one of the things that we want to characterize the people that call themselves a part of this family of God. Thank you for the gathering today and for all the sacrifices that have been made, this acts of service that's been made by so, so many people. And God, I'm praying for the extra spaces to be, to be filled on the Andrew team. And, and Father, in the, in the children's environments, we would have those people that are there. Continue to grow us, Father, not as a church numerically, but to grow us spiritually. People that are hungering and seeking to know and to follow and obey you. Thank you for the people that have gone before us, that have left us the legacy of faith. And Father, may we as a church called Heritage be faithful to do the same exact thing. We're your people. May we be your ambassadors as we leave. And for the person that doesn't know Jesus today, would they even come to me today and say, can you tell me more about him? Thank you, Christ. Thank you for dying on the cross. Mm. Now may we go and live for you in Jesus' name. Amen.